3 verses 1 to 17. Since then you've been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since we members of one body, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you. Well, good morning. In case we haven't met, my name's David, and I'd like to extend a warm welcome to you as well. Well, it's that time of the year, it's exam time, and I'm glad I'm not a student. On Tuesday, I heard on the radio that over 46,000 VC students were about to sit their first VC exam, the English exam, which was my worst exam. I'm guessing uh, you're not in year 12. I don't think we have any year 12 students here. Well, I'm not, and I'm glad I'm not. I've been there, done that, and never again. I don't know how you find sitting exams. I always found them stressful. I'm a bit like Mr. Bean. Uh, during the year, I'm like this. Uh, there should be a photo. Yep. During the year, I'm like that. The night before the exam, I'm like this. And during the exam, I'm like this. And in the last five minutes of every exam, I'm like this boy in the picture. When I don't know an answer, I make an educated guess like uh, this kid. Um, who killed Goliath? Who do you think it was? It, it ends in V-I-D. Anyone? Any guesses? <laughs> okay, well, this boy or girl answered with COVID. Now, I don't know who answers this question uh, in the next slide, but I can show you this is not from one of my kids. Who's your hero? Dad? Why do you consider this person your hero? He's brave. Is anything your hero is frightened of? Mum. Now, how do you find exams? You might even be sitting exams this week, and if so, good on you for being here at church, uh, making church a priority. Well, I don't know uh, if you know this about Maddie. In fact, Maddie might not even know. Um, maybe this is a revelation for Maddie this morning. Maddie's actually been 
uh, to lots and lots of exams. She's been to a philosophy exam, two New Testament exams. One was in Greek. Uh, to Old Testament exams, Christian ethics and Christian doctrine, uh, which examine topics such as ecclesiology, soteriology, and the perichoretic union of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, Maddie went to these exams not because uh, she did so by choice. Uh, she wasn't even actually sitting these exams, but she went to the exams nonetheless. Because you see, she was in utero. Uh, you see, Kylie was sitting these exams in her third year at Moore College. Uh, Kylie was pregnant with Maddie at that time. And so Maddie went where Kylie went. Maddie went to these final exams because Kylie was sitting these final exams. Maddie went wherever Kylie went, and wherever Kylie went, Maddie was there also. Now what Kylie and Maddie was, or what Maddie was to Kylie, is a bit like what a Christian is to Jesus. Uh, Wherever Jesus is, the Christian is there also. Uh, That's how we make sense of passages like the one we just read out in Colossians chapter 3. It speaks of Christians uh, and their union with Christ. Paul says in Colossians 3, uh, verse 1, you have been raised with Christ. That is, you Christians have been raised with Christ. You Christians have died, in verse 3. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. In verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Uh, the Christian jargon for this doctrine is union with Christ. That is, when we become a Christian, when we put our faith in Jesus, we become united with him. That is, like the complete opposite of what happened with Kylie and Maddie. You see, when uh, Maddie was united with Kylie when she was in utero, in Kylie's womb. Her umbilical cord was attached to a placenta which was attached to Kylie's uterus. But when Maddie was born, she became an independent person. She was completely separated from her mother, from Kylie, because I cut the umbilical cord. And with us, before we put our faith in Jesus, we're completely independent of Jesus. We have nothing to do with Jesus. But when we put our faith in Jesus, we become united to him and connected to him as though there's an umbilical cord now from us to him. We're attached to him in a more profound and a more significant way than a a baby is to their mother. We become connected to Jesus in a very, very profound way. We're united with him. So that his death becomes our death. His life becomes our life. And when Jesus returns on the last day, we'll appear with him in glory. Wherever Jesus is, there we are also. What this means is that when we put our faith in Jesus, there's a spiritual reality that happens immediately. As the physical continues on this, in this physical dimension, there's this spiritual reality. Spiritually, we're with Jesus in heaven right now. Physically, we're sitting here on earth. And it's this spiritual reality and the physical dimension that I want us to be thinking about this morning. As we wrap up our series on the doctrine of the church, We need to understand the spiritual reality of the church and the physical reality of the church. So you might have noticed over the last few weeks in this series, I've spoken about our church as the church. That is, Cezac is the local manifestation of the universal church, the heavenly gathering. Now that's not a slip of the tongue, but it's jam-packed with theology, with biblical truth. It's a way of expressing both the spiritual reality of the church and the physical dimension of the church, which is what we'll be looking at this morning. So first, the spiritual reality. The church is the heavenly gathering. 
Now, the point here is that there's only one universal church, one invisible church that Jesus is building, and it's now gathering in heaven around him. Uh, We express this truth when we say the Apostles' Creed. So on the second Sunday of every month, we say the Apostles' Creed as an affirmation of our faith and our communion with the saints that have gone before us. And so remember the, the line here, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints and so forth. The word Catholic there, you'll see, is, is, is the word for universal. That is, when we say the Apostles' Creed, we affirm this spiritual truth, that there is only one church. The church that Jesus is building is gathering in heaven now. And we saw this in a passage that we read a couple of weeks ago in Hebrews chapter 12. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to what? To the church of the firstborn, that is Jesus, whose names are written in heaven. Now notice the tense. It's all in the past tense. Now, in case we have any engineers here, past tense means that it's happened in the past. All the arts students would have understood that. Well, it's just like in Colossians 3. You have died. You've died. It's in the past. You have been raised. It's in the past. Now, in Hebrews chapter 12, you have come. It's in the past. You have come to Mount Zion. You have come to the church of the firstborn because it happened when you put your faith in Jesus. That means that you and I, if you've put your faith in Jesus, you're now in heaven spiritually, worshipping Jesus. We've arrived. We're with Jesus right now. You see, Jesus isn't building lots of churches, and he doesn't have lots of bodies and lots of brides. And so Jesus doesn't have a London bride and a body in New York. He doesn't have another bride in Camberwell and a different body in Mexico. As we've seen over the past few weeks, Jesus is building one church and the church is one body and one bride. And when someone puts their faith in Jesus, they immediately join with the rest of Christians in the past, in the present, and therefore in the future, in heaven now. Whether we know this person or not. And so right at this very moment, a person could could just be converted in Africa and immediately that person becomes in fellowship with us as they are worshipping with us in the spiritual realm in heaven now. For we have the same Spirit of Christ, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. We belong to the same church that Jesus is building. What this means is that some churches that call themselves churches aren't churches at all. You can call yourself whatever you like, but if you have no faith in Jesus Christ, then you're not a church such as the Church of Scientology or the Church of the Latter-day Saints. They call themselves churches, but they are no church at all. And so, on the other hand, there are lots of people who attend local Bible-believing churches, but they aren't Christians. They don't belong to the universal church, the true church that Jesus is building, unless they put their faith in Jesus. And so here we have the doctrine, the fact, the truth, that there is only one church. The church is the heavenly gathering. The one body, the one bride of Christ. And if there is only one universal church, then how are we to understand the local church, the physical church? 
the dimension in which we live. Well, one way to do that is to simply look at how Paul, the apostle, speaks about the local church, particularly the churches that he planted, and then he wrote letters to. And so take 1 Corinthians, for example. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. Look at how Paul, the apostle, addresses the local church in Corinth. He says, to God's church at Corinth. Now, there should be a slide about that as well. And if we revisit 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, notice how Paul describes the church in Corinth. So 1 Corinthians 12, 27, he says, Now you are the body of Christ. Now notice what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say to the church in Corinth, to a part of God's church at Corinth, or you are part of the body of Christ. No, instead he says, you are the church. You are the body of Christ. What this means is that the local church isn't a church or part of a church, it's the church. Another way to put it is like this. Our church here at Seasack in Campbell South isn't just a bit of a, a, a the church that Jesus is building. It's the whole church. And it's not just part of the body of Christ, like a fingernail of the body of Jesus. It's the whole body. So when we meet together, Christ is present and the church is complete. You see, the church is both visible and invisible. The visible and invisible church are not two churches, but one church. The visible church is the physical, local manifestation of the invisible, universal church. When we gather as CSAC, we reflect what's happening in heaven, like a small window into the heavenly gathering, like a mirror image of what's happening in heaven now. That's why Christians must gather physically, because not gathering as a church is like getting married but never living with your spouse. It's like saying you're a member of a family, but you never go home. Or that you're part of the local footy team, but you never turn up to a game. As Christians, as God's people, we gather in heaven around Jesus now, and we manifest that, we live out that reality by gathering on earth as his people, as a church, as his church, as the church. That's why we must gather and that's why the message of the gospel, which is all about Jesus, is the heart and center of our fellowship. For in heaven we gather around the word of God, the word who became flesh. And here we gather around the word of God, written, read, and proclaimed. To put another way, the local church is like an embassy. An embassy of the invisible church. It's a temporary local gathering of the universal church. Now, as you know, the, an embassy represents a nation inside the borders of another nation. It represents and speaks for the foreign nation in an official capacity and acts as a proxy for matters concerning its citizens. So, for example, Australia has an embassy in Tel Aviv, in Israel. And if you were living in Israel as an Australian citizen and you lost your passport or you needed your passport to be renewed, you'd go to the embassy of Australia in Israel, in Tel Aviv. And there you'll be like you're on Australian land. You'd meet Australians and, and they'll process your passport, they'll renew your passport, they'll give you a new passport. And if you found yourself in the middle of a war, like there is there one right now, and you wanted the Australian government to bring you home, you'd get in touch with the Australian embassy and they'll tell you what to do, where to go, 
and they'll sort it out for you. You see, an embassy is an outpost of a sovereign nation and functions as a territory uh, of its sovereign nation. There's only one country that's called Australia. But Australia has created 136 embassies and consulates throughout the world. And in a similar way, Jesus is gathering one church, one universal church, one invisible church that's gathering in heaven now. There's only one church. But he's creating thousands upon thousands upon thousands of local churches in the world, establishing them in foreign territory, as it were. And each local church is like an outpost of the heavenly gathering. It represents the universal church and functions as a geographical territory of the invisible church, a bit like an embassy is to a sovereign nation. And so what what are the implications of this? Well, there are three things I want us to focus on as we wrap up this series. The first is this. Just as the Australian embassy is in constant contact with the Australian government and acts on the instructions of the Office of the Prime Minister and the Office of the Foreign uh, Minister, so must the church. The local church doesn't act independently and do as it wishes. It must look to its heavenly gathering and get instructions from Jesus, her Saviour. So let's read uh, Colossians chapter 3 again, the first few verses. And notice what Paul tells them to do. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. What's the implication? Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden in Christ, with Christ in God. Now notice the connection. The connection between the union we have with Christ and our hearts and minds. The reality of being saved by Jesus and what we are now to do and think and live. You see, we're to love what God loves and hate what he hates. We're to love what Jesus loves and hate what Jesus hates. Now, if an ambassador to Israel, in case you were wondering, it's Paul Griffiths. If Paul wants to know the Prime Minister's thoughts on the war and Australia's official position on the war, he doesn't have to read the newspapers searching for his answer. He calls up his boss, Penny Wong, uh, the Minister for Foreign Affairs, and gets the official word. That's what he'd do. And no matter what political persuasion Paul Griffiths has, he must affirm the policies and position of the Prime Minister and his administration. And so when he speaks to the press and answers questions from his fellow Australians who are living abroad in Israel, he can tell them with confidence and with precision what Anthony Albanese thinks. And it certainly would be outrageous if Paul Griffiths said something contrary to Anthony Albanese. And in a similar way, if we want to set our hearts and minds on things above, we don't have to guess what Jesus thinks and what he wants from us. We don't have to dig around for the answer and watch for the stars to be aligned. We have his word, and we're to bring his word to bear on each other's lives. So Colossians 3 verse 16 says this, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see, as an ambassador, 
just as a, just as an ambassador is an official envoy of the highest rank from a government, as a resident representative of his own sovereign state, what Paul Griffiths says is as though it's coming from Anthony Albanese himself. And Paul says that we have that role and responsibility as well. Whether in word or deed, it must be in the name of the Lord Jesus. For we represent him here on earth. For, for Philippians chapter 3, verse 21 tells us that our citizenship is in heaven. That's where we belong. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 tells us that we're ambassadors of God. Second, the local church must reflect its heavenly nature. Now, if you step foot into an Australian embassy, what would you expect? You'd expect that not everything's in Hebrew, but also in English, because that's our official language. You'd expect to hear the gorgeous sound of the Australian Oka accent that you've been missing so for so long. You'd expect to hear, uh, to, to be greeted by an Australian who calls you mate. And you'd expect to see our federal police officers in Australian federal police uniform. Not the police uniform of the States or, the, or Russia, not the police uniform of the English or the French, but the Australian federal police uniform. That's what you'd expect. Because that's who we are, Australians. And you would have rocked up to the embassy in your singlets and shorts and thongs, just like this guy on the screen. Because we're Australian, and that's how we dress. You see, stepping foot into an embassy is akin to being back in Australia. You expect to be amongst Aussies, behaving like Aussies, and dressed like Aussies. And in a similar way, that's what Paul expects, because that's the word from Jesus in heaven. To set your hearts and your minds on what's above is to know what Jesus loves and to love what Jesus loves. It's to know what Jesus hates and to hate what Jesus hates. It's not, to, uh, it's not about a uniform we wear, as it were, or an accent that we have, but about the kind of people we are. We're to be holy and righteous, for that's what heavenly people are. We're not to be earthly people, but we're to be like Jesus. And so that means putting to death our vices and putting on the virtues of Christ. And so Colossians continues from verse 5 with this, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. So that's what we are, or what we were, earthly. And we were filled with all these vices, but now that we're heavenly people, what are we to be like? Verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You see, when someone comes through the doors of our church, they enter the embassy of Jesus Christ, the mirror image of what is in heaven, the window into the heaven reality. And so when someone comes through the church of, of our church, what should they see, what should they feel, and what should they experience? They're to be greeted by godly people, heavenly people. 
who love what Jesus loves and hate what Jesus hates. When someone comes through the doors of our church, they, they should be met by Christians who turn the other cheek and forgive because they've been forgiven. And, and when someone comes through the doors of our church, they should see a diversity of people for Jesus is saving a diverse people for himself. Verse 11, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. See, the church should be filled with forgiven people from all sorts of life, uh, walks of life, from all backgrounds and culture. In the church, you shouldn't just have middle-class people, but broken people, people of all sorts of walks of life, standing united as one body. Colossians 3.15, Let the peace of Christ ruin your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. When we go to the office to work and find colleagues bickering about their boss and climbing over each other to get the next promotion, we expect that. That's what happens. When we read the paper and watch the news and find our representative in parliament lying and scheming, fighting amongst each other, even within their own party, we expect that. That's, that's what happens in this world. There's barely a group we can be part of, a community that we can belong to, where there isn't the frustration of disunity and disloyalty. But if anyone sets foot into an embassy of Jesus Christ like our church, there to see the peace of Christ rule out in our hearts, there to see that we live at peace with one another, there to be seeing the thankfulness that springs from a heart of great joy and delight in Christ, there to see the unity that we have in Christ as God's people, because our nature is heavenly and not earthly. You see, if the church reflects its heavenly nature, then it will be the closest thing that anyone can experience to heaven here on earth. And everyone will want to be part of it. And so I want, I want to just pause here and say that I'm so thankful that there is unity in our church. Unity in the gospel that we share from the parish council to the members of our church. But I want to also say that it's something we can't take for granted. It's something we must keep working on and striving for, lest we become like a political party. For like an embassy, it can come under attack because of, of, of its views or its policies. And so when the terrorist group, Al-Qaeda, wanted to attack the United States in 1998, before the 9-11 attacks, what they did wasn't to attack Americans on American soil. They went to Africa. They went to Kenya and Tanzania and they attacked the embassies of the United States. They bombed them. 222 people, uh, 224 people died, including 12 Americans. And more than 4,500 people were wounded. You see, to attack a United States embassy is an attack on the United States itself. And in a similar way, the church will be attacked as an outpost of the heavenly gathering. Since they can't get to Jesus, they'll get to his people, his representatives, his ambassadors. They will come for the embassy. They will come for the church. When churches don't teach God's word and don't reflect its heavenly nature and is filled with corruption and infighting and disunity, then it does deserve to be criticised. For that's not a faithful church. But oftentimes churches are attacked because of its views 
So, for example, during the plebiscite, when Australia was called to vote and cast its view on the definition of marriage, many churches stood firm on the biblical teaching of what marriage is and were attacked. We should expect that. When the church is a salt to this crooked world and when the church shines the light of the gospel in this dark and broken world, it will expose what people would rather have hidden and often is not met with repentance but with rejection. And so the church is attacked. But ultimately the church is attacked because it manifests the wisdom of God. Ephesians chapter 3 from verse 10 says, His intent, that is God's intent, was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now you might remember the story of Jesus in the desert in Matthew chapter 4. He goes into the desert, he's tempted by the devil. The devil tests him three, three times and the last time he takes Jesus onto a mountain, shows him the kingdoms of all the world and tells Jesus that he can have it all. Right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he can have all the kingdoms. All he had to do was to fall down and worship the devil. In effect, the devil was giving Jesus a shortcut to glory. He won't have to suffer. He won't have to walk the road of Calvary. He had to just do one thing, and that was to worship the devil. But as you and I know, Jesus doesn't. He passes the test. He doesn't take the easy route. He takes a difficult route of death on the cross. And because of his death on the cross, the church is formed. Jews and Gentiles who were once enemies are now brought together in the bond of peace. When people from all nations and walks of life are gathered together in love, he shouts to the rulers and the authorities, to the devil and his schemers, that Jesus got it right. Jesus in his wisdom obeyed God and suffered and died. Our mere existence as a gathering of God's people is a display of God's wisdom to the spiritual powers. When we gather as a church, we reveal God's wisdom, his demonstration to the world, and cosmic powers that he got it right. But before he returns to bring it all to an end, the devil and the spiritual forces that continue to be at work in this world will keep attacking the church. The embassies of Jesus, as it were. Just like Al-Qaeda will never stop attacking the United States and its embassies, the church meets on hostile lands, in hostile environments, with hostile governments and peoples. But even though the battle rages on and the spiritual warfare continues, our ammunition isn't bullets and missiles, but acts of love and words of grace. Our posture is to submit to the authorities God has placed over us while our loyalty remains firmly with Jesus till the end. The Bible has many different metaphors to describe the church. The body is one of them, the bride another. We're also a temple, the vine, the flock, and even a candlestick. Over the past few weeks, we've considered some of these metaphors, and we've been reminded as a church we have a future. Because Jesus is building his church. As a church, we're a fellowship. When we meet together, Christ is present and the church is complete. As a church, we're a body of Christ, each one indispensable 
playing our roles to build up the church into maturity in Christ. As a church, we're the bride of Christ. So even though we're now both righteous and sinful, our desire is to please our king, not to become queen, but to be the queen we are. And as a church, we're an outpost of the heavenly gathering, an embassy of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, each of us an ambassador of our Lord and Saviour, to proclaim his manifold wisdom as we meet each week, united in love, faithful in service, to do the work for him who reigns forever and ever, as we continue to set our hearts and minds on things above. Amen.